What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, bowl season is officially underway, and all I want for Christmas is for us to get a bowl game to end like that Patriots game. Oh, man. We got to see Mac Jones try to try to attempt to tackle. That was a highlight of my weekend. Yeah, that was super fun. And yeah, yeah to your point, we've had some just zany bowl games so far. <laughs> a lot of unders hitting. It's been, a, been an interesting start to the to the football holiday season, I feel. I think I'm a Mac defender. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call that a tackle attempt. I wouldn't. I'd, yeah. I'd call that a guy who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, and by the way, if you don't know what we're talking about, if you didn't see the end of the Patriots Raiders game, just Google it. It's worth your time. It's the most uh, you can hear the will laugh from outer space watching the last 30 seconds of that game. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, it's one of those things like I always joke about this. Like there are these certain teams that like it's like Alabama, the Patriots. And like when they do dumb stuff, people just pretend like it's all part of some plan. And so when stuff like that happens to the Patriots, it's rare, but it's like 10 times as funny to me because I'm like, no, let's talk about it. You guys, it was a run play that got turned into a double lateral that somehow ended with um, Chandler. I forgot his name. Chandler Jones. Yeah. Yeah, Chandler Jones, the former Patriot, just running Mac Jones over as he stands there. And he's like, guys, what was this play? Like, he kind of got hung out to dry. I actually feel bad for the guy because it wasn't even supposed to go that way. Yeah, and I, I wasn't watching any of this live. I was I was celebrating Christmas with, with my in-laws, which, by the way, I'm in Indianapolis. So if acoustics sound a little bit different, that's why. Um, yeah, I saw as well. I wasn't watching it live or anything. And I showed I showed Lauren. I, I said, just, just watch this. And she just, as somebody who... Grew up as a Colts fan, hating the Patriots, just smiled. Just nothing else, but just a smile came across her face. What an ending. Unbelievable, though. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to get anything like that with a bowl game anytime soon, but fingers crossed. That's all we can hope for. Um, But yeah, great show lined up today. We have a recap of a certain SEC team that may or may not have played in a bowl game, didn't score a touchdown, kept a certain shutout streak alive. Shout out to Florida. Uh, we're going to preview Mizzou's bowl game against Wake Forest. My guy Trey Wallace is going to join us in a little bit, talk a little bit of Tennessee storyline, some early signing period things, um, just kind of a, a all over the place, best hires in college football so far. So, yeah, a lot to come. But before we dig into everything, well, Texas Pete, it's simply the best. If you don't have Texas Pete under your Christmas tree, hopefully it's in your stocking. Great mm-hmm. stocking stuffer. Glass bottles can go in a stocking, I think. I I don't think that it just has to be a plastic bottle that goes in a stocking. I think that could be perfectly fine. And if somebody says to you, you, you want hot sauce in a, in a stocking, you say, uh, yes. Why, why would I want anything else? As you know, Texas, Texas Pete has the sauce, the spice and the flavor, not the sauce, the spice and the flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or the new traditional barbecue sauce, run, don't walk, grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus, take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. That is all caps, all one word, Saturday Down South. Win big with Texas Pete when you saw us like you mean it. All right, so Florida played in a bowl game technically, mm-hmm. but... I don't know that we can really count that officially because they didn't score a touchdown. The Jimmy Carter reference was ready to go. Um, I had that a picture of Jimmy Carter. I was tired. That's one of those like listeners know thing. But me personally, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. I I wonder how many people looked at that picture that I tweeted out of, of Jimmy Carter. Like, oh, by the way, Florida consecutive losing seasons for the first time since the Jimmy Carter administration. I wonder how many people who don't listen to the show 
saw that and was like, that's a really random picture of Jimmy Carter, Connor. Really, really random. But it, it is the the peak picture of Jimmy. Uh, it's surprising that I haven't tweeted it out up until this point, but you know, it's never it, random. It's always there's always a, a, a through line, and somehow it all goes through Jimmy Carter. It always does. Yeah, it was a beatdown of a loss against a better team, a better mm-hmm. team. And Florida obviously was depleted. I probably don't think that Florida beats that team at full strength. We talked about how bowl games are sometimes weird. This one wasn't really that weird. It wasn't. This was a mm-hmm. Florida team who was dealing with obviously the 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 absence of probably the three best players, three most important players. And again, like maybe they have a slightly better chance to be able to win this game at full strength. I still don't think that they would have won this. And if you tell me, Hey, it's 10 to nothing at half, they blocked the kick. I'd say, well, in order to actually have a chance to win a football game, getting into the red zone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Red zone is even better. It's like, if you don't get there, buddy, yeah, you probably aren't going to win. I'd settle for a couple of filled red zone trips is a reason why you should have won a football game and didn't, but Florida didn't even have that until what the middle of the fourth quarter. And they got to the 20, like that's, that's what we're talking about here. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. this was a, a game in which you realize Florida not having that offensive identity and it really kind of hurt them. I thought, and I actually didn't think it was that bad of a defensive Mm -hmm. performance, given the circumstances not to go full Dan Mullen here, just some, Dan Mullen, mm-hmm. you only let up 353 total yards of offense. It wasn't really terrible. I mean, the 11 penalties for 82 yards, some of which being on the defensive side, that probably contributed to the fact that it felt like Florida never really had a chance. But it was more of a letdown of a game offensively, in my opinion. We talked about this in the pregame. Oregon State trusts trust its identity and Florida never really found theirs. And I get it. You've got Mm -hmm. a guy first career start, Jack Miller. He probably needed better protection, a few more weapons available. If he was going to really turn heads in this game, things had to be kind of right for him. If they were breaking off five, six yards, a first down on these first down runs, maybe that would have been ideal for him. But instead, this this stat to me, I, I I dug this up because it felt like every single first down that Florida had was just a run that went nowhere. You know, like, well, no wonder they're just joking. Yeah, behind the sticks constantly. When you don't have the give the ball to Anthony Richardson play. It's a little bit harder to get that easy yardage. Yeah, yeah, and he and he does that very well. I mean, he he can occasionally do that for you. I, I think he needs to do it a little bit more consistently. But thirteen of Florida's sixteen first down attempts, just attempts before that last drive to get that memorable field goal with an epic Pat McAfee call. Um, thirteen of those sixteen. First down attempts were runs, okay? They went for 22 yards. That's it. That's bad. It's not going to get it done. I think the long was like maybe seven yards. They had like two runs that went for more than three yards on those first down carries. It was bad. It was really bad. And credit Oregon State because we said coming into this one, you know, Billy Napier, okay. Don't be afraid to be one-dimensional. Balance is overrated. Just run the football. Trust that your guys are going to be able to get push at the line of scrimmage. And instead, we end up realizing you probably needed a little bit more creativity on offense, better offensive line play. This mm-hmm. this would have helped. Those, those things usually help. But I, I'm not necessarily of the belief that this has to be a last straw game for Billy as a play caller. It certainly can be. 
it, it might be. And uh, plenty of Florida fans, if you're thinking to yourself, I've seen too many of these situations with third down where it's third and eight and we can't dial up anything that gets us more than more than four or five yards. I'm so sick of watching this. This is frustrating. I get it. I totally get it. But I'm not necessarily at the place with Billy Napier that I am with Eli Drinkowitz, with Jimbo Fisher. A little bit different there. I'm... <sighs> I, I want to see a quarterback who can execute a system. We, we talked about this. Well, we it just doesn't feel like that's there yet. And maybe Jack Miller with time could eventually get there in the right surroundings. Did anything that you saw in this game make you think, oh, this guy has it. He's the one that you need to build around. No, exactly. And, and, and you talked about it with potentially, you know, there, there's some rumors about McCall potentially coming in. I mean, they were talking about to kind of fend off that big name transfer. He would need to have kind of like a hell you like me now game. And I think it was just a little bit of mid. I think to your point, he was put out there in like a pretty bad situation. We talked about Florida's, you know, receiver attrition over the year. Um, obviously, Pearsall is usually like, always a guy who's there for him. He played decently well, but they just need some more targets out there. That's one of the ways that. You know, you talk about roster attrition, transfer portal, guys just kind of moving in and out of teams. By the end of the year, obviously, the receiving core is so decimated that it's hard to get the ball out. So I don't think that's totally an indication of him as a football player, but at the same time, he's definitely not the next Joe Burrow. You know what I'm saying? He yeah. wants to go out there and, like, get the boys together and get him. There's a lot of 20 to 20 football, I like to call it, like, out to your point, outside of the red zones, and that stuff is not the football that wins or scores points. And so, yeah, I, I think to your points, it's, it's you know – dysfunctional there's lots of uh, procedural things that are an issue but at the same time talking about missing guys like torrance who probably would have helped you up front obviously richardson you know so it's like it's just hard to really get a read on it and i would like you know hey i said it to you pre-show i was very nice to florida in this game i thought they could do really well in this game i'm not trying to be a hater i really still want to write this off and just be like this is a team that had something to play for in oregon state that obviously has one of their best seasons in recent memory we talked about that in the lead up and versus florida who just didn't have the dudes and was not motivated. You saw the video of that one dude rushed to the passer who was just walking. That's bad. Man, that's bad. <laughs> that's, so bad. that's that's a, a visual you can only tolerate in year one. And even that, yeah. probably not. But any other time, and we're we're asking the has he lost a locker room question. But yeah. but it's year one. And you know what? There's part of me that kind of feels for Jack Miller a bit because you know, it shouldn't all come down to one game as to whether or not you're going to be the guy. But that's kind of if you go to Ohio State or you go to Florida, that's just kind of how it works. All right. Like that. Mm -hmm. That sucks. Don't waste your opportunity. Kyle Trask had to wait behind Felipe Franks. And when he finally got in there, like what happened? He balled out. He was really yeah. good. He makes sure he makes sure that, all right, I'm not going to lose control of the starting job. And he ultimately is able to, to be the guy that Florida needed him to be. I think Grayson McCall is the right move. If that's what it ends up being, and as of this recording, we haven't heard anything official on that. If you don't know the Coastal Carolina quarterback, look at his numbers last three years and watch the system that he played in with friend of the program, Jamie Chadwell, and the unique decision-making things that he had to do to be able to execute an offense that is uh, a little bit throwback, a little bit modern. It's kind of mm -hmm. like it's it's got this it's this nice hybrid of what the triple option is and he's somebody that's had to make a lot of those decisions and i'd be fascinated to see him play in billy napier's offense but we'll we'll kind of wait and see how that plays out okay we'll wait and see if 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 that's going to be the move going forward because if he ultimately were to go to florida like that's your guy okay and i and i understand you you want to be able to build around Rashada. totally understand it um, as we'll talk about with Trey Wallace, we're not big on this idea of uh, true freshmen coming in and being told you're the starter from day one. I think there's yeah. a lot to be said for that. That's not out of 
that's not out of need. That's usually out of necessity. I guess I just said the same thing. That's usually done out of necessity and not because a guy just jumps off, just jumps off the film room so much. So, mm-hmm. um, okay. I think a few things can be true at the same time with Florida. One is that Florida just has to get more talent in those doors. Just getting a quarterback out of the portal doesn't instantly change that. It, it mm-hmm. doesn't, there's no way, like, especially on defense. I mean, they've been, really bad on defense three consecutive years not not just the bowl game take out the bowl game if you if you yeah. want to okay three years they have failed to have a top 70 defense will i mean i remember that 2017 group remember last last year the mccoyne era <laughs> and this defense was getting trucked by mizzou and it, it it was bad and even that defense was top 70 barely but that defense was top 70 and these last three have all failed to do that and you're just kind of wondering like when was the last time and you as an lsu fan can answer this question like i i'm legitimately curious when was the last time you feared a florida defense um okay well fear we've talked about my opinions of fear that probably was like oh gosh i mean maybe like one of the must champ ones like must champs 2012 yeah, like, like the 2012 team was like sneaky, pretty good. And to your point, you bring up a really interesting point, which is that for most of kind of the recent years, Florida has been a defensive team under Muschamp and McElwain. And their offense was like Treon Harris and Appleby. And they were kind of like sputtering on offense, but their defense was holding the team together. And then there was like a point in the Mullen years, like two, it was like 2018 or 19, where it just kind of 19. flipped. Yep. Well, 19, just, 19, they had Grenard and that, that group was good. And then 2020 was when it really fell off just suddenly. Yeah, because 18 was good with Gardner Johnson yep. and those boys. Like they had like some some dogs on that defense. And then like I said, it flipped and it's just never really it's like it's like a pride thing almost. Like to the point about the good with barely rushing the passer. It's like when Florida's had a good defense, they have been, yeah, they've been a scary defense. They've gotten sacks, they've gotten turnovers, they've been a defense that, that takes pride. And I feel like they haven't had that on that side of the ball for a minute. Yeah. And I, I wonder how Billy Napier handles this because we know he's offensive minded. He he wants to mm-hmm. handle that side of the ball. He brings in Patrick Tony, who is a guy that's my age. I mean, he he's he is young in this business, yeah. and he's somebody that if you if you have that trust in him, I get it. But we talked about this with your predecessor. All right, we talked about how you can't have this this loyalty that just supersedes everything. It, mm-hmm. it can't be the thing that that trumps making those key decisions about your program moving forward. And Tony next year is very much an improving year. Like there's no question in my mind. And if he's not, then Billy Napier is, is failing his program. But I, I think that you, you, you bring up a good point. Like there have been these decent defenses with Florida and with, and even into the Mullen era there, they were there, but at the same time, like even that 2019 group, you weren't thinking that 2019 group was going to go into death Valley and be able mm-hmm. to shut down Joe Burrow. And obviously that was a historic offense. So maybe that's too high of a bar to set because everybody got scored on by them with the exception of like Auburn. But mm-hmm. I still think that that, that impose your will defense smash mouth. We're going to come take your soul is is just not been there, and you can you see it in a game like this, obviously with some atypical circumstances, but it's just been rough. So, speaking of Mullen, I just want to say really, really quick before you transition, I think that that I, I hate to like do this whole thousand foot point, but we've talked about kind of like how college football has changed a bit, and a lot of the older school guys, these like get in your face, yell at you guys, are defensive guys. You talk about Kirby Smart, you talk about like these guys, Clark Lee is like a dude who go get in your face, old school defensive guys. 
And I think that that's one of the things like with Tony, the reason why, you know, people loved him coming in was you got Kamari Wilson out of IMG and it was all things like, oh, they were playing Warzone together. It was like they were friends. And it's like to have that type of defense, you need like a Charlie Strong. <laughs> you need a dude who's just screaming at you. You need an insane person. And I think that those guys are getting kind of fewer and farther between. Um, and there are some of your tacticians, you know, you talk about your Randas, your Matt Houses at LSU that like can scheme you that way. But I think that's kind of what we're losing is that defensive coordinator or that even now it's like the position coaches do it a little bit more that they're true the true leaders on the defense but the guy that just makes you feel bad for not playing angry like defenses especially now need to play angry to stop these new modern offenses it's hard it's really hard yeah i think a lot a lot of teams probably feel this exact sort of way but you know i I think auburn is is another one where sometimes you you kind of take for granted just how good Mm -hmm. your defense has been for a long time and then when you see it's not there you're like oh my god this is this is how bad we can be and all this that's why we're having these conversations about florida and defense has been the constant we talk about the offense and the quarterbacks all the time but the defense has kind of been the constant in you know the last three years it just has not been the case so I think it's okay to be frustrated with the way that things played out in year one. I think there's reason to kind of have this angst to wonder what's the plan moving forward. Where do we feel like we can really hang our hat if we're Florida? But the other thing that we need to remember if we're saying Billy Napier isn't the guy, which look, I'm not Brandon Walker. I'm not out here. I'm I'm not out here saying that. Okay. If if you're saying that it's a bad hire already, I, I, I think you're just hoping that your take is proven right and you don't actually have a, a real data point to look at from year one to say, this this is why this will never work out. To me, there's nothing that I saw year one that makes me say, this is impossible. This is doomed to fail. There is nothing of that regard. But I think this go beyond this this this, this is going beyond class rankings, okay? Mm-hmm. My guy, Neil Blackman, brought up this point. You can't just look at the number nine class that Mullen signed or even the number seven class and say, hey, why isn't this team better? Because Mullen took flyers on guys that weren't going to play at Florida. And so some of those those four-star guys that they brought in, it's a little bit hollow because those guys didn't stay in the program. They didn't stay and develop. And even if you look at the guys from Mullen's highest rated class in 2020, I counted eight four-star guys who are no longer on the roster. That was just 2020, all right? That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's not that long ago. It's it's really not. And of those guys from the 2019 class, and I realize this would have been like their senior year, you had three four-star guys who signed but never enrolled, plus the whole Chris Steele thing with you know him being roommates with Jalen Jones, the quarterback with the sexual assault thing. Like he was kicked off the team before he could ever, you know, really ever play it down for them. Like there are things that led to Florida not necessarily being able to look like a team that had those classes that ranked in the top 11, top 12, some of which were self-induced, some of which were because this is Florida. This isn't necessarily a program where you can get away with some of that stuff. And we talked about that a little bit with the Eric Gilbert thing and his transfer decision and the way that that all went down. And so Mm -hmm. it's difficult. And you might, so you might be looking at this, we talk about 247 talent composite rankings. We talk about that all the time. And if you look at Florida, as you say, you're number 14 in the country. Why aren't you better? Michigan's right there with you. Look at what Michigan's doing. Look at what you're doing. I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. In this case, I do. And I think there's nuance that needs to be realized where you you understand Florida's five-star guys are guys who didn't make it at other places. 
yep. at least Justin Shorter, Lorenzo Lingard, like th- these guys who didn't have it work out at a couple of previous stops and they were hoping to be able to, to make it work at Florida and Shorter turned into a fine player, but I don't think you look at him and go, oh yeah, definite five-star game-changing yeah. guy. That's typically what you hope your five-star guys are. And they don't have that. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that you can look at this as some massive year one failure. All right. There were things from the Mullen era that were going to impact this, no matter if Nick Saban took over this program. Okay. If people forget Nick Saban was the first team was about this bad. Yeah. Okay. Napier's Napier was in it was in a tough spot. There are things that he has to do better. He has to. He just does. And we'll we'll wait and see if he's gonna be able to to figure out some of the in-game stuff. Wasn't crazy about the way that he called third downs this year. If you want to have a gripe about that perfectly legit but if you're just looking at this as saying our guy failed and look at what happened at tcu with sunny dykes it's like well yeah sunny dykes is national coach of the year billy napier Mm -hmm. was not as good of a coach as sunny dykes is this year max duggan was a much better player than anthony richardson was this year garrett riley was a much better offensive coordinator and a much better play caller than what billy napier was this year okay we can Mm -hmm. understand all of those things and just have a little bit more nuance and realize that not every situation is exactly the same and florida year one yeah you weren't necessarily in a position where you were going to go 10 and two. Brian Kelly had the better year one round one goes to LSU. Okay. They totally get that. Does it mean though, that all of a sudden you should be dismissing your head coach? In my opinion, no, year one is going to be tough. Even in this era of the portal, I wholeheartedly disagree with the notion that you should, that anybody should be bailing on him. Year one. We don't judge coaches based on year one. It's just not Unless a good barometer. Agenda, don't forget points. If your coach is good in year one, then he's good. That's it. <laughs> he's impressive. I just want to say one of these days I'm going to do a, just a deep dive on the best year one coaches that we've seen in college football in the 21st century and just read some of the things that were said about them because my God, their busts were being enshrined in Atlanta at the college football mm-hmm. hall of fame. My goodness. And look, I, who would I rather have long-term this coach who does this in year one versus this coach who does this? Like probably still the coach that I was talking to that I liked a year ago that I liked a year earlier, you know, like mm-hmm. the, to me, that's, I don't know. So I, I I know we've gotten into the weeds about that, but like I just still come back to the point. McElwain won the East in year one. Mullen won a New Year's Six Bowl. What did it get him? Nothing. Nothing. It didn't get mm-hmm. him what you wanted, Florida fans. So so don't be too upset that you went six and seven instead of going eight and five or something like that. That's not what's going to make or break Billy Napier's time. Thoughts on no, that? Yeah. A hundred percent. No, I'm, I've been there. And it's funny because like we've <laughs> it's like the Florida stuff has been so mercurial for us. But at the same time, we've been like the most level head people that I've heard in the national media, because it's like we've literally been like, this is about a six and seven, seven and six team, like pretty much throughout the whole year. People, That's no, they're going yeah. to they're, they're be way better. And then like they lost Utah. Like, See, they're going to be way better. And it's like they lost like they're like Vandy. So they're way worse. Like, nah, dude, we both pretty much had them between seven and six and like six. It's like eight felt a little bit too high of a mountain to climb in with a bowl game. And it's like you really, you really go through the schedule, even if they lose to Utah. And Utah and Vandy are just the swap, right? It's like, well, they probably should have yeah. lost to Utah. Probably should have beat Vandy. They still ended up right here because that's the talent level they had. That's they had all these dudes coming in and out. So if you expected anything else you know what i'm saying it's, it's what it is and, and and i think it's tough you know when you got like we've talked about josh heupel coming up you know um and obviously it's, he's hired a year ago but tennessee was just so the seller that 
watching them being good as a Florida fan. I mean, their Florida fans might just don't remember Tennessee being good. So I understand that that's frustrating. And then same with Brian Kelly being a goober and getting like dunked on by the media offseason. And he comes in and does well. And none of these stories are written, though. You know what I'm saying? We might look back in five years and be like, well, yeah, Brian. Can I up? ask you this question? Can I Go ask ahead. you this? Okay. You, you hit on a good point here, though. Florida State having a great end of the year. Brian Kelly doing what he's doing in year one. Georgia, favorites to win another national championship. Tennessee having its best season of the post-Fulmer era. Florida. All four of those teams, they they get into it with. They compare themselves to. Watching all of those things happen, in my opinion, has led to some of this angst. And you are the program that all of a sudden looks like, oh, yeah, like we have year one coach, but there's nothing that really makes us feel like good vibes team going into the off season. And all of those things are happening around you. I understand why that angst would be there. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I think that's why I said like after the venue loss, I was like, you need to pick a story and stick to it. If you expect to be better than those teams, you're in and you're out right now, you're going to be disappointed because you're not. And to your point, the East is better than it's ever been. So some of these McElwain teams that weren't any good. Great point. You know what I'm saying? That were able to just feast on this bad East that, you know, didn't have anything but Georgia. That was also like, that was kind of in that time where like Kirby wasn't totally there yet. And like with the, with the early McElwain stuff where like Georgia wasn't good. And so they were just kind of like coasting and not very good, but they were winning nine, 10 games. It's like, that's just not the reality you live in anymore. So it's part of it is like, we've come to expect X, Y, and Z. And we're seeing this thing over here. And it's like, Part of it, to your point, is all these rivals are coming up, and that's just kind of a luck thing. It's not like Florida has anything to do with Tennessee hiring Josh Heupel, you know what I'm saying? And and sometimes they benefited from the other side of that. So I think sometimes you got to be honest. You'd be like, maybe things weren't as good as we thought they were, and maybe there has kind of been a trend here where it's like, yeah, like to your point about building new facilities, that probably should have got done a long time ago. Now we're talking about the Gator Collective and the NIL stuff. Maybe they need to get a little bit deeper into that because some of these recruits that are being lost seems a little bit fishy. Like I'm not ready to just be like, Billy's a horrible recruiter who keeps losing all these guys. Even me, a hater, is like, how do they keep losing these guys at the 11th hour? And it's probably an IL, if we're being honest. So point being, like you, like stuff like that is systemic and you got to address it. And when you live in the hopium of, oh, Dan Mullen's going to come in and turn this whole thing around and year one, we're boom, we're back. We're on the path to being Urban Meyer again. No, you're not. You have lots of things that keep you from being where Georgia's at right now. And they're not like insurmountable, but you need to get to work on them yeah. because Georgia's getting better. Like That's the thing. They're not getting worse. We, we make fun of Stetson. Not we, but like Florida fans, LSU fans, everybody makes fun of Stetson. Bennett. Next dude behind him looks like a Viking. He's 6'4". Like, there's not going to be another Stetson Bennett at Georgia. Oh, dang. Throwing Carson Beck under the bus. Uh, under the bus, I guess. Because Brock Vandegrift's just the guy automatically. Either one. They're both Vikings. That's what I'm talking about. Pick either one. They both look like they hunt in the woods and are, you know, scary. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if, if we're going to get to any point in year two in which we're looking at any sort of Billy Napier, Kirby Smart side by side. I, I think we're a ways off from that. Yeah. But he was built or he was brought in to chase what Kirby Smart has built. And that was never going to be one year, two year. He mm-hmm. preached patience for a reason. Now, if we're still having these conversations at the end of year two, in which it looks like the offense is stagnant, there's a quarterback who looks underdeveloped, there's a defensive coordinator who looks in over his head, and they still lack dudes. If all of those things are still happening, and oh, by the way, maybe you're still losing to Vandy, except this time you're doing it at home. Fire away. All right. 
he's he will be firmly on any sort of hot seat going into year three. There's no there's no way about it. That's the reality when you step into that job. There are a lot of things that he has to do, and it's always going to be about the decisions that you make after year one. It's always the most pivotal thing that's going to determine whether or not you're going to be a you know a, a six seven eight year guy at a specific place. And not a lot of guys, you know, and credit Gus Malzahn, who, while he never lived up to what the high bar he set in year one, he mm-hmm. still was in a great position in terms of making sure that Kevin Steele was running that defense and that they were doing some things well. And even, you know, maximizing the potential uh, of guys in, in the portal and making sure, all right, we're, we're going to always have the staple of running backs here. And I guess it wasn't the portal when Gus was doing his thing, but you get what I'm saying. Shout out mm-hmm. Jared Stidham. But I think that Napier has a lot of questions to answer, and I'm I'm not willing to dismiss him yet. And if some are to me, I just think that's premature. Just premature. Simple as that. This this might sound like hopium, and again, it's coming from me. I'm not Mister Hopium, especially about Florida. But like I would say this too: the benefit that you have, you know, is that you look at Kirby and Saban, and those are defensive guys, and they just kind of didn't care about the quarterback position and the way that they built their empires was through like in the trenches recruiting in the trenches. You're talking about Walker talk about like all these dudes that they had, even from, I think um, it was a guy similar to Walker that he had uh, who's 78 on Georgia. Like right when I was working there, uh, that was like the number one player that, that Kirby got like initially. And it was like, they, he was making the splash, getting these, um these like, defensive guys and building the trenches but if you're Florida it's like well you have a a coach who has a reputation as an offensive guru and you've seen Josh Heupel like we joked about it it's like Tennessee didn't do all that that's why they fell off at the end of the year they had like six good dudes and one of those was a quarterback three of them were receivers they had a couple of guys on defense and like that was kind of it and that fell apart when they played Georgia but not every team is Georgia and so if you're going from being in the basement like Tennessee was you will take beating Alabama in year two before you get to the rainbow or the promised land whatever that's going to be so point being if you're Florida you don't have to do it the hard way the way that those other rivals did you can get a receiver and a running back and a quarterback in and score 40 points and give up 35 and be like okay now we win eight nine games and we'll go from there so that and with the portal you know that that's the silver lining here while continuing to bring a lot more talent in the door that that's exactly. what this comes down to yeah that that's that's what gets fans off you in year two and allows them mm-hmm. to kind of take a breath and meet all the while you're you're trying to bring in as much talent as as humanly possible and that will be the goal there will be High expectations for Billy Napier to live up to in year two, even though year one did not finish the way that he hoped. All right, let's talk about a bowl game that I know everybody's going to be dialed into. Mizzou, Wake Forest. Wake Forest, only one and a half point favorite. Little bit surprising. The over-under I have on that one is three Sam Hartman passing touchdowns. Mm-hmm. 18 times he did that in his career. He is one touchdown pass away from breaking Taj Boyd's ACC record for career touchdown passes. He's got 107 of those things. Yeah. He's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. How much of that is part of his decision to play in this bowl game? I don't know. But Dave Clawson, if you haven't seen the Dave Clawson comments, um, really interesting. His communication with and and the way that he has talked about Sam Hartman's status moving forward is what I would call progressive to say the least. Very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. He has another year of eligibility. I know that's very hard to believe that Sam Hartman is still out here, but is it because he looks like a guitarist from August Burns Red? He looks like he's like my age with a full beard. Oh, he looks. Uh, Sam Hartman looks older than you will. I think Sam Hartman's older insult, than me. But I'll take it. You know. What? He, he might be, dude. Like he, Sam Hartman is one of those guys who could pull off probably if he were in a movie, he could play a 35 year old with 
a kid in elementary school comfortably. Oh, I yes. think only with the beard, though. I know he's been he you know he shaved the beard initially, and then he's like he's probably gonna bring it back. That thing grows back in a day. All right, he doesn't have to worry Stacks about that. Figures full beard. <laughs> Talk about Vikings. Uh, yeah. Okay, so this quote, if if you haven't seen this from uh two four seven sports had the sport had the quote from Clawson a couple of weeks ago about whether or not Sam Hartman was going to hit the portal, whether or not he was going to go to the NFL. And the quote was, I think right now his intention is to go to the NFL, but when the bowl game is over, if there is some incredible offer for him to go to another school and get life changing money, how could we fault him for that? Buddy, that's welcome to 2022. That's the world we are currently living in. You don't hear coaches usually talk about it that directly, mm-hmm. but that's reality for Sam Hartman. And we'll talk about him more in a little bit here with Trey, but it sounds like he's playing for a little bit of money, no matter what in this game, playing for some records, playing for some money, motivated, I think. Just a little bit. Sneaky good bowl matchup, by the way, with the Wake Forest offense against that Mizzou defense, which we've talked up. If momentum matters, that favors Mizzou because Wake Forest lost four or five to close the season, including the regular season finale to friend of the program, Mike Elko at Duke. One of the great stories in college football this year that probably hasn't been talked about enough. We respect Mike Elko, so we will talk about it. But Mizzou, they were, I think, in a pretty favorable spot down the stretch to be able to build momentum, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think you saw a little bit of that offensive life out of them. Brady Cook's legs were kind of the story. I don't think yeah, moment- like a fever dream. You just put me back into like Thanksgiving and watching Brady Cook run for like 200 yards. That was crazy. seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Yeah. It was only like, what, three weeks ago? Gosh, mm-hmm. time is a flat circle right now. Um, I don't think momentum matters that much during bowl season. I don't. I think it's a nice storyline. I think it's a nice sell to your team in the offseason if you win like four straight or something like that. But I don't really think that that all of a sudden matters. Now, if you make a change at the quarterback position or something like that, all right, I understand it. But the change they're not doing that. (laughs) They're not doing that. The change that Mizzou made might actually hurt them. So quietly, I kind of missed this. And I think it was Power Mizzou that first reported this. Drink gave up play calling duties at the end of the season, the final three regular season games. So Tennessee, and then they had New Mexico the, State. Yeah, New Mexico State game, and then and then Arkansas. Well, they scored 28 plus in each of those three games. Offense looked really good. Play calling duties went to Bush ha- uh Bush Hamden, by the way. He is off to Boise State now. So Drink gets play calling duties back and if you saw the comments from brady cook brady cook looked a little bit upset not to have that guy in his ear and i don't really blame him okay so we 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 talked all season about how dude needed to give up play calling duties and it was like oh actually he did kind of like didn't tell anybody didn't get didn't get covered enough and then he was like oh wait just kidding now that guy's gone so i gotta tell you guys that i now do my own oc again and then now i guess is he hired oc does i mean feel probably feels a little bit like maybe not betrayed but like now i gotta do this again that sucks honestly this, this is jim convincing dwight to be his own assistant to the regional manager <laughs> this this is that just mm-hmm. over and over again so 
I don't feel great about that. I don't really feel great about the fact that Dominic Lovett is in the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Um, haven't felt too inspired by the Mizzou offense for the majority of the year. Wake Forest defense is bad, though. You should be able to score some points on them. They're not exactly the most sure-handed tackling team in college football. I think we're going to get a little bit of back and forth. I think this, this has sneaky potential to be a fun game. I, that's all I'm going to promise for this, but it has potential to be a fun game with two defenses that might be a little bit in over their head. And I say that even though we respect Mizzou's defense, I respect the Wake Forest offense just a little bit more, just a tiny bit more. So I think Wake Forest wins kind of a thriller, 31-28. And this ends up being a a nice send-off for Sam Hartman, whatever he wants his send-off to be. Yeah. What a weird thing to be a doctor. Oh, no. I mean, he's awesome. I love him. Like, obviously, I've spent lots of time like watching him. And it's always nice. Like, when a con, I don't want to sound like an SEC like elitist here, but it's like when one of these conferences that you're used to having, like Clemson or like Ohio State, be great. We ever you have like that third team that comes in, they're awesome the way that Wake Forest was and played Pitt and all that. Um, So they've been really fun. But yeah, I mean, it's fun. I'm so glad you just told me about that about like the power Mizzou scoop because I was sitting here, I was like, well, Wake Forest has lost four or five. Missouri's kind of putting it together. It's like not actually the thing they did that worked is now gone. It's in Boise yeah. State. So, yeah, I think you got to go with Mizzou. And, and I think that – or you got to go with Wake Forest. I mean, and to that point, it's like I do think that regardless of that, Mizzou did finish strong. And I think that, you know, if they lose to a Wake Forest team that has been in and out of the top ten over the last couple of years, I don't really think that that's that bad. Um, uh, They can kind of build and hopefully drink, realize, you know, get a new play caller and figure this out. And so, yeah, I don't think it's going to be like – I mean, gosh, they had that another – Speaking of a fever dream Mizzou game, the Army game last year where they were doing the series, at least they're not doing that again. At least it's going to be a clean break. It's like whatever next year is, is next year. Your point about um, love it leaving. You know, if you had told Mizzou fans that's the that's the receiver that's going to transfer, they would be like, you know what, fine, we'll take it. We're good. We'll turn it around. We'll get it figured out next year. And that that class that we've been talking about for Mizzou is getting older. You know, what I'm saying they're freshmen this year, sophomore next year. So hopefully they'll be impact players. And uh, yeah, the future is surprisingly looking not like. Stupid bright, but brighter, I feel, for Mizzou. Brighter. Yeah, we'll call it brighter. It would be a nice win to be able to to contain Sam Hartman in a bowl yeah. game. It would be kind of confirmation of what Blake Baker has been has been doing. And if offensively, who knows, if Brady Cook looks the part and he ends the season the way that – if if he, if he looks – if if he shows up and looks like a guy who is capable of running an offense, even with drink in his ear, then I don't think that that means Mizzou has to all of a sudden build around him moving forward. I, mm-hmm. Some people might disagree with that. I still think you're foolish if you don't go under the portal. If you're a coach going into year four and you've had disappointing offense after disappointing offense, to me, that seems obvious, but mm-hmm. who knows? Um, maybe there will be, this will be a game in which he, throws for 400 yards and all of a sudden you know outplays sam hartman in a back and forth duel and the conversation's different bowl games can change a lot of things even though they really shouldn't yeah it's weird i don't know they have a funny way of doing it i bet mizzou fans just eager to to get any sort of bowl victory because well they haven't done that since 2014 yeah, yeah. uh 2014 yeah, I mean, citrus bowl last one as you kind of go back and think about it, I guess it like makes sense too. And it's a yeah, throwback to Butch Jones and the uh play Northwestern was like the king of that, where he's like, I'm totally changing everything. We beat Northwestern boys. Throwback to that. But yeah, no, I mean, I you know, you gotta wonder with drink. And I, this is like more of like a postseason question, but whatever. 
you almost want to think like how, a dual threat quarterback would help him. I feel so much. I don't even know if he's really tried that. He's tried to give the ball to his running back a thousand times, but like feels like that's an like easy yardage that you know you see Brady Cook simply try to run the ball. And suddenly their offense looks dynamic. So I don't know. Yeah, one would think. Um, I, I I think he would like that moving forward. You, there was talk about him recruiting somebody like JT Daniels last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that didn't necessarily be end up working out. I don't know if JT Daniels has a new home yet, but he's in the portal again. Maybe you swing again you for JT Daniels. You the proud owner of JT Daniels. Whoever you may be, you at home, you could be, he could be your roommate next year. He, he's t- taking a world tour that JT Daniels is going to play in every single power five conference by the time that this is all said and done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I think that you should be still in the market for a portal, but again, Brady Cook has a chance to to maybe change his legacy. That's what we talked about with Jack Miller. Change your legacy right now. This is a good chance to be able to do it. Okay. Before we kick it to Trey, a quick word from our friends at Underdog. A lot of people know sports betting, not legal in states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, et cetera. In other words, most of the SEC states. I want to talk to you about our friends at Underdog Fantasy. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now, and they have some awesome college football contests where you can compete for real money. It's a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive agreement with Underdog right now. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks. They'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way to get some money to play in these contests. So what does it look like for college football every week you can pick higher or lower for different players for example maybe you're like hey brady cook feeling the vibes right now we're gonna bet on some brady cook total yards you want to get over to underdog and let's just say hypothetically that they don't have the the number officially locked in yet let's just say hypothetically the total yard for brady cook was 260 you're like i'm going over brady cook's in fuego i believe in momentum you can do Mm -hmm. that this is the place underdog is the place for you pretty similar to sports betting player props very similar to the over-unders that we talk about each and every week when we do preview pods. And you can bet real money. Yes, even in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, etc. You can get over to Underdog and bet real money with these contests. It's awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching college football or any other sport in your living room. And you can win real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog and take advantage of our promo where Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. $100 absolutely free. SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog. All right, let's kick it to Trey. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is my guy, Trey Wallace. Uh, Trey, important question to start. Have you learned how to pronounce the last name of Tennessee's new quarterback, Nico Amalava? Amalava. Amalava. Hell, I'm going to call him Nico a lot. I was working on that when he had, um, when all the buzz started going on about him, I started working on like the last name just to try to get it down. Um, but then I was told I was completely wrong with how I was doing it at first. So I was like, okay, great. So, um, no, I'm figuring it out as we go. He's going to be somebody in the SEC for maybe the next three to four years. So I got to get it down, bro. Dude, I have been – I watched this video um, inside the Wubble. Yeah, that's what, what the YouTube channel was. There's a video of both brothers pronouncing the, their last name like probably ten times – and I'm still a little unsure. Like I, I, I'm. I think it's six syllables. So I went with Iamaleava. 
Yamaleaba. That actually, that actually, I think that's it. To be honest with you, like that. But I'm so darn southern um, that I'm going to have to figure out, you know, how to get around that. Um, but I'll, trust me, whenever he takes his first snap at Tennessee in a meaningful football game, I will have that back name down. We're yeah. good. Yeah. Well, uh, just we'll, just like uh, DJ Uyangalale, you know, it's the same thing. Right. Exactly, man. It's all it, look. God bless him. They're just trying to make our lives even worse. And I, I hat tip him. Yeah. So so he's already on campus, and I, I read uh, that he already stepped on the power tee and he had to do had to do push ups. I saw the the court the Cordell Landers tweet about that, and, and I kind of think he needs a little bit of that. You know, I I never hate when a freshman's kind of getting a little bit of the hey, you know, you haven't done anything yet. Like he shows up at Elite Eleven camp wearing Prada sunglasses, uh, like. You you need a little bit of that, okay? And like with the reported NIL figures, which you know, take that with a grain of salt until we actually see the actual contract that's there that's saying eight million dollars, whatever. But what do you think expectations of him should realistically be for Tennessee fans? I think looking at the rest of the quarterbacks around the country that come in as freshmen and gauging them and looking at them and, and seeing the reaction from the fans. I would, I would, I would say Tennessee fans need to chill out a little bit, and I don't mean that in a mean way. Just calm down, because this kid was taking high school snaps three and a half weeks ago, four weeks ago. Um, I think that, and I am no college football coach, but he's going to have to put on twenty pounds of muscle, in my opinion. He's like uh, a buck ninety-five, isn't he? He's pretty, pretty thin in terms of yeah. like you know six-five guy, yeah. He's very thin, and I was trying to find, you know, somebody to to look at in college football nowadays and, like, you know, put him in the same category, and I can't really when it comes to his stature. Um, but they'll, you know, they'll get him figured out. But I, I think the biggest thing, you know, for Tennessee fans is to understand this is a 17-, 18-year-old kid, and uh, he's trying to figure out what college is life. And then he's, gonna, then he's going to have to figure out come – you know, winter workouts, spring, what it's like to be a college athlete. Like he's not getting anything in these next couple days in bowl practice. Like he's he's gonna get some throws. Tennessee's not worried about Nico before the Orange Bowl. They're worried about Joe Milton and Taven Jackson, the backup, getting them ready and getting that offense going without two playmakers at wide receiver. So I would say for the fans, you know, be optimistic. But be open that he's not going to be your starting quarterback when you open the season next year against Virginia and Nashville. Like, in in my opinion, as we sit here right now, I think Joe Milton will be the starting quarterback. Now, can that change? Absolutely it can change. Um, but if Joe Milton's in the program, I think that he has a two-and-a-half-year leg up on Nico when it comes to running this offense. Um, now, that, that, that doesn't mean – that the five-star phenom, you know, can't come in, you know, halfway through the season or towards the end. Like, you know, it's like what we saw at Clemson with Cade, you know, where you didn't know what you had until towards the end of the season when they gave him a shot type of deal. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing right now is that calm the expectations a little bit um, and and see what you get in the future. You're not getting anything on one-on-one routes and practice or throwing on air. So I know everybody's happy. They should be. It's a big time recruit for Josh Heupel and 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 for the potential future uh, at that position. But um, just calm down a little bit, hold your horses, and let's get to spring practice, and and we'll see what the kid really has.
Yeah, the amount of situations where there's a true freshman who's designed to be QB1 from the jump, those that's few and far between. And you can point to, oh, what about Trevor Lawrence? Well, Trevor Lawrence was also coming in a little bit thicker. He had to you know, kind of do this back and forth thing with Kelly Bryant for the first four games. Kelly Bryant hits the portal. You could even look at Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts goes into that season opener and Lane's still figuring out with three guys. And what's it going to look like with Bateman and Barnett? And it's kind of this back and forth thing. So it's never really this thing by design. And just because one guy, one true freshman can start somewhere. And you, you know, Jake Fromm wasn't supposed to be the guy. And Jacob Beeson right. goes down. Jacob Beeson was the guy as a true freshman. That didn't necessarily work out for Georgia that year one with Kirby. It was, he's your option. He's what you're going to go to. Usually teams aren't in an enviable, they're not in an enviable spot if they're going to that true freshman. So I agree with you 100% on that. And I think, you know, with Milton, I wanted to ask you about him because I think Josh Heupel has this infatuation with him. I really do. And look, it's hard not to because he's built like a Greek god and you see him throw the football a country mile and then then another mile on top of that. But how big is the Orange Bowl for Milton? Or do you think that kind of regardless of how that plays out, they're going to be looking at the portal for their potential QB1 for 2023? I think optimism-wise, I, I think he needs to come out and have a good game. And they're going to put him in situations where he can prosper. You have to remember that, and a lot of folks do, without Jalen Hyatt, without Cedric Tillman, Joe Milton has been working with the second string wide receivers all season in practice. So it's, I don't want to say it's a benefit because that is the wrong word to use when it comes to the receiving core. But Joe Milton has been working with Squirrel White and Ramel Keaton uh, and you can go on and on the receivers uh, in practice, second string, you know, the ones that are now going to be in the limelight in Miami. So he's had that time all year long uh, to go through that. I think Josh Heupel, when they first brought him in uh, from Michigan in that springtime where they tried to hide him out in Knoxville for a month and act like he wasn't here when he was already here enrolled in classes, um, I think they saw a quarterback that they were like, okay, this guy's going to be it. And, and the reason why is they were familiar with Joe, uh, recruiting wise. Um, I think that when you look at him overall, yes, he's got a hell of an arm. He's, he's elusive in his own ways. He's hard to bring down, you know, and, and maybe Josh Hype on them thought, oh my gosh, is this Cam Newton 2.0? that we're going to be able to run in this system. Um, but then they had a, you know, a dose of reality with what they had in Hendon. And and I give Joe Milton a lot of credit. The kid stuck around. Now he, he had, he'd have had trouble transferring that after that first year with where he was already at. But I think that him sticking it out for two years underneath Hendon and learning from him, um, taking on a new leadership role within the program. I think that's what Josh Heupel wanted to see. And uh, and now you've got this opportunity where if if I'm Joe Milton, you know, I'm not as nervous about Nico coming in because they're gonna take that, they're gonna take their time with that. I think the orange bowl, look, if the kid comes out and he throws for 350 yards, three touchdowns, and rushes for another one, all that is is optimism for what it could look like in the spring um i think that you know it's a good jumping off point 
Because what you're doing is it's it's you're you're ending one era with Hendon, and now you're starting a new era with potentially Milton for 23. And so I think that is where maybe the future looking looking ahead in the future and how that I think that's where it plays out because come spring practice, I mean to be honest with you, they're going to open it up. I mean they're going to open it up for Taven Jackson as much as they can. I don't think they're going to make the mistake that they did with Joe Milton and saying, okay, Joe's our guy. This is who we're running with. Come to find out two and a half weeks later, well, actually, Hendon Hooker was your guy. So I think they've learned from that mistake, and and that's why you'll see an open competition with Milton, Taven Jackson, letting Nico get his uh, when he comes in. I don't think Tennessee goes to the portal mm. and looks for a quarterback. I, I Because here's the thing. What quarterback is going to come into this situation right now knowing that you have Joe Milton, Taven Jackson, and Nico? So they're going to come in and waste a year to potentially battle out, then not get the job, and then have to sit around Knoxville. Like, I, th- you know, and maybe it depends on the quarterback. Connor, like, you know, like Grayson McCall. Like, he's not coming to Tennessee. You know, like uh, Awesome Reed from Western Kentucky. He wasn't coming to Tennessee. But maybe they go find a quarterback that wants to battle and prove himself. What about – and it would, it would take a very specific situation. It would take somebody who's very confident in their abilities already – very proven. This hasn't happened yet, but a Sam Hartman, a Sam Hartman would be like the ultimate. You should, if you're Tennessee, you shouldn't pass up a situation like that. You know, his familiarity running those RPOs, how long, you know, he waits at the mesh point, how his ability to read those over the top safeties would be really fascinating to watch with what Hypel does. If he came, became available. And again, we're, we're in kind of wait and see mode because as crazy as it sounds, he still has a year of eligibility, but that would be the one situation where I'd look at and say, yep, that actually kind of makes sense. This is a guy who knows what he is. He's been doing it. I mean, he's, a touchdown pass away from the ACC touchdown passes record. Like he would be Tennessee's starter if he came open. And that becomes a a dilemma for Josh Heupel. Do you bring in a guy like that? I think you would have to over trusting Joe Milton. I do too. I I think that if Sam Martin came available after the bowl game and you had a situation where it all fell into place and and credit to Dave Clawson too, for talking about that a couple of weeks ago, where he was like, you know what? I understand. I get it. The kid might get a better offer than going to the NFL and he can go play another year, make buckloads of money in college football. And that's great because what, what would happen is if Sam Harton came to Tennessee, you know, uh, no offense to Wake Forest, but man, his star power would go up here. And oh, yeah. the money that he can make be through the roof. So in a situation like that, you have to say, okay, yeah, look, this kid has done everything. Uh, he can run the system. Uh, he is the type of quarterback that I can work with if I'm Josh Heupel. And you just have to lay down the law and be like, hey, look, you know, Sam Hartman's coming in the same way they did for Joe Milton. Same way they said, okay, look, it's going to be an open competition. Wink, wink. Yeah. Uh, and Joe Milton came in. You'd have to shoot him straight, and you'd have to let him know, hey, look, Sam Hartman is this guy, everything that he's done – this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to get a quarterback to come in here and and run this type of program like a transfer quarterback. So I think that um, I think you would have to do that if it's open to that. And and Sam from Sam Hartman doesn't sound like he knows what his future entails yet. 
Um, and I promise you, everybody out there, do not be, you know, um, small-minded enough to think that these schools aren't already contacting Sam Hartman. Oh, yeah. Hartman's representation because that's going on. Um, so we'll see. That's an interesting decision they would have to make, but I think one that would actually fit Tennessee going into 23 where you're having to replace a guy like Hooker who just did so much for the university, and, and especially on the field and how he handled himself. And you would accept that likely, like you're going to lose Joe Milton. You're accepting that, that he's probably going to hit the portal. And maybe even it's Avon Jackson as well. If he, if he were to hit the portal and then you still at least have Nico as your backup, but like, that's just the way that a lot of these teams are kind of constructed. But that's what what it would be. That, that, that's honestly, it would be a one for two trade-off because that's going to happen. You bring in Sam Hartman. Okay. You're losing Joe Milton and you're going to lose Taven Jackson because Nico's right there. Like everybody's putting their hands in the Nico. Like this is this is going to be the future. So it it would be a one for two trade off. Um, but I, you know, if it if it came to fruition, I would look at that as a monster acquisition for Tennessee that they couldn't turn down. Agreed. It, it feels like we're at a really interesting place in terms of just town evaluation in general, with you know portal versus high school recruiting, and it'll be a t- a topic of conversation throughout early signing period because. A lot of people have talked about high school recruiting kind of falling off. And, you know, there's something to be said for it because the two most active players in the portal this past year were USC and Ole Miss. And both of them undoubtedly elevated the floor of their respective programs. And meanwhile, the team that had the historic recruiting class, the number one recruiting class, AM, didn't really have much to show for it. And yes, while they kept a, a lot of those key guys from that first class, they still lost a lot of those guys from that historic recruiting class. And you're kind of wondering, all right, well, then there's Kirby who, you know, builds from within and he does it his own way. And he talks about very openly not using the portal to be able to rebuild when he lost more talent than anyone. So do you think a lot of teams have kind of taken some time away from high school evaluation and decided, you know what, it's more of a split now in terms of the way that we try and build our roster. In talking with a bunch of assistant coaches over the last three weeks um, and how they have handled the transfer portal. The, these schools are investing so much into transfer portal guidance. So when I say that, I mean uh, interns, uh, GAs, quality control guys, whatnot, but they're also bringing in so-called experts you know, and I don't mean that in a, in a bad term. I mean that in a way of they're bringing in experts to be able to handle this portal um, and guys that are, um, what's the best way to put it, have, have understanding of what they're doing when it comes to what they're looking for in recruiting because it's completely different. The transfer portal, looking at that market compared to looking at high school recruiting, totally different in a sense of what you're looking for. And I think that's the biggest thing because, you know, I, I know a school where they have got a guy sitting at a desk from nine to five, and his job is to watch every player that goes into the portal. And then once that player enters the portal, you're immediately going into – there's so many different programs they use now in college. You're immediately going in, getting the game film, footage, whatever you can, passing it up the chain. So what we're seeing now – is just a a different way of college coaching and how they're going about recruiting. Because you can go get your plugger, which means you can go get your star 
from the transfer portal who you think you're going to come in and let's just play play defensive back. Okay. Who are you going to trust more? Are you going to trust a kid that has three years of college experience and has played against some of the biggest teams? Or are you going to save that spot for a high school kid who's going to come in, probably need two years to really get going at his position? Um, so it's all about are you going – on the long run, or are you going for the quick fix? And I think the transfer portal is now turned into a quick fix that can turn into two to three years. It's not like a guy – it's different, too, because, remember, it's not like grad transfers. When grad transfers came in there, usually they only had a year to play. Um, but you look at it now with the transfer portal, you got guys with three years of eligibility that can hang around a program. And so it is different. I, I think you are seeing quietly – coaches that are still going after the three and four star recruits, you know, to build up the roster and find players. But again, you might, you might find more sustainability or you even might find more, you know, experience in that, in that transfer portal. So it, it's, it's, it's trying to weigh both sides of it, you know, and I it's think hard. that's the biggest thing. It is hard Connor, because like you could have a four star recruit that's, um, What's a player that fans would know? Uh, Arian Carter, the kid from that that just committed to Tennessee and Alabama was on him as well. You could have, you want a player like that because that's a kid that can probably come in and contribute day one. Um, compared to other players, maybe not of his stature that you're recruiting that you know it's going to take time to develop. So it's like, okay, am I filling this roster spot with a kid like this or am I filling a roster spot with a linebacker from Eastern Michigan? or Rhode Island or something like that. So it's difficult, man. These schools um, have so much resources now and money invested in the transfer portal. Uh, it would blow a lot of people away just to see, you know, the offices now and how many more people they've hired. Just go look at Billy Napier and the Partridge family down there. I mean, he has got so many people on that staff um, and, and, and a good amount of them are for transfer portal and, and hopefully it works for Florida, you know, this year and what they have to do. But, um, the college game has changed, man. And, and we're seeing it right before our eyes. What do you think Dabo's portal staff looks like? <laughs> Dabo <laughs> sitting in a room going over the, uh, you know, the, the NCAA. It's like, and then, you know. Wanting a commitment 12 hours into the kid being in the transfer portal and uh, also telling him he can't go anywhere else and look around. Um, no, I mean, I, <laughs> Dab, is a character, man. Um, you know, he is, he is hating it in public, but loving it on the inside is the best way to put it because he knows there might be one or two players that he needs to go out and get. So he can't come out and completely bash the portal. Um, but if it really came down to it, Dabo Sweeney would not use the transfer portal because it goes against everything that he, you know, says every single day. So God bless him. That's what he wants to do. He can do it. Um, but I don't know how that, how much that sustains over the next four to five years. I picture Dabo getting into his car, driving down to his local Best Buy, getting behind the counter and saying, Hey, you work for geek squad, right? Like I need you to come here and manage, manage the portal for me. I think you could probably figure this out. I don't really know what I'm doing yet, but I I'll need somebody. A a tech guy. More. 
bring in a couple more of them computers over here and uh, <laughs> let's see what's going on inside this portal that they're calling it. No, trust me. It is, uh, um, man, I, uh, Dabo is a man of never ending quotes, but uh, sometimes he, he, he bites himself when he should probably just lay off. So it's, uh, it's funny. And a lot of coaches are like that nowadays too. Like that's the funny part. You know, it's, um, you know, Nick Saban probably gets a, a list or a memo every morning. Okay, well, maybe these players go in, but I promise you that's already gone through the hands of seven different people uh, before it gets to Nick, and you know, they're marking off, okay, well, he's not going to fit. He's not going to fit. Okay, let's go to Nick with one player that we think might help, which, as we've seen in the past, kind of works. Look what they did with Jermaine Burton. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Okay, uh, I don't know if you've talked about this yet, but Heupel's extension that was announced in September, um, it was agreed upon earlier, so it was before, you know, the nice start, all those different things. We know how this works. He's going to be making more than the $5 million that he agreed upon after year one, which, you know, I think we all kind of raise an eyebrow to that, and we say, well, what exactly do you need to extend him for? Why do you need to give him the raise? Oklahoma, the only program you probably have to worry about him leaving for. Of course, they filled that vacancy last year, so you don't necessarily sweat that one out right now, but we know that a raise and an extension is probably coming. What do you think that new deal is going to look like after he puts together the Best season of the the post Fulmer era at Tennessee. Uh, I think that that first deal is in a paper shredder somewhere, <laughs> way way far away from Knoxville. Now um, they put that bad boy in there, you know, right after they beat Alabama. Oh yeah, um, and uh, it, it's going to be a new deal. It, it, you got to get it over. I mean, what you saw Drinkwitz's new contract? Like you got to get it over Drinkwitz, you know. Um, I would think, you know, and I'm just going back and forth here, but I mean, I would, I would think seven to eight. That's what I was thinking. Per year, seven to eight per year. I think for him, you know, you're going to probably, you're going to add a couple more years. And then what you're going to do is you're probably going to increase that buyout a little bit because um, Oklahoma is not in the best spot right now. Uh, that could be a job. Um, but I don't think it's just college that would come after Josh. I think it's the NFL that mm. might come after Josh if he has sustained sustained success, uh, meaning next year go win eight games. We know what the roster is going to look like for Tennessee. Um, I, I think it'll be very interesting to – I'm excited to get down to the Senior Bowl later in January because I, I really want to gauge the these scouts and these GMs and coaches of what they think of schemes like that. Um, I, I, I think that – he is the type of coach that Danny White and them know that they need to to lock up, not because another school's coming. There, there, there's no other school out there that's coming right now for Josh Heupel. He's going to have to prove it for more than one year. But he's at Tennessee, so where do you really have to go? If you can start making waves at Tennessee, you don't have to go to any other spot. I mean, so – you can technically compete for a national championship. So I, I think the new deal is going to be somewhere in the seven to the eight, seven to eight ballpark. Um, probably, probably add four years to the deal. I would imagine three, four years. Um, but you know, he's, he's got to be making more than some of these coaches right now in, in the sec that aren't producing. 
favorite hire of this coaching cycle doesn't have to be obviously i mean just sec that's pretty limited uh anybody in america what was it for you um i i for some reason i i like the hue hire i know that's an obvious one um i i did um i i want to say you know luke fickle in wisconsin i think that one was Outside, like we got one of those outside the box type hires where you didn't think it was going to happen. You didn't think Fickle was going to leave for a school like Wisconsin, um, maybe waiting on something else to pop up. Um, I mean, if we're looking at it over, I, I would probably say Fickle. I think, I think you know the the Auburn Hugh thing that that made sense to me for for a year and a half, two years. It made sense to me when they first hired Brian Harson to bring in Hugh Freeze. Um, everybody not, might not agree with that and that's fine, but I'm just saying as a coach getting back in the sec, that one always made sense. So I, I think I would go with, with probably Luke right now. What, what, I mean, what's yours? I was thinking fickle or I, I mean, like I like the, the psychological, um, don't overthink it of Matt rule at Nebraska. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, it's a it's a it's an interesting hire because of what he did with the Panthers in the NFL, which is completely uh college football realm in the I, I don't it's not it's not the Big Twelve anymore, but when I think of Nebraska I always or whatever. Um of course. you know, but in that area, you know, recruiting in that that area and then being able to dip down into Texas uh when needed. I, I think Matt Rule you know, Nebraska just feels like they're uh, stained at the moment in a sense of nothing is going right. We can't figure it out. Let's see if Matt Rule's the one can bring it around. I think if he has a good offense and can recruit those guys to Nebraska and try to make Nebraska that high-profile school again, which is going to be very hard to do, um, he can have success. I mean, I, I, I would probably go fickle over Rule, but – I like the Matt Rule hired to Nebraska. I think he found a good spot to end up at. Yeah, I I agree. And the, the only concern that Wisconsin fans have about Fickle is, oh gosh, what if Ryan Day continues to lose to Michigan? Would Luke Fickle perhaps entertain the idea of going back to Ohio State? When I actually look at Fickle, yes. and I think he's a little bit more of the variable mindset a little bit, and you kind of worry about him at the NFL level, even though that's becoming less and less popular. And I probably need to, you know, get that out of my my thought process with some of these head coaches. But yeah, I think there, are, you know, there there were n- not necessarily the the massive splashes that there were last year, of course, because that's like was just bananas. But it is kind of interesting because you look at a lot of these different places, you're like, oh, they did what we kind of thought they would do, and there wasn't a whole lot to really you know, like overthink it or they didn't go crazy outside of the box. You're like, Oh, even Colorado, I guess had the splashiest hire of the entire cycle with, with Dion. And that's a but move that, that you even, had to make. But that wouldn't even like that one didn't pop on my radar, like in, in saying it, because that one was such an obvious move. Like that, first off that it had been, it had been done. It's been done for a while before it finally got out. Like, they knew that Dion was going to Colorado. Um, I think, yeah. I mean, it's 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 top three. But if we're talking about programs right now that can go compete for compete for a playoff spot, I think Wisconsin is certainly in a much better spot than Colorado. I mean, don't get me wrong. Dion Sanders 
Deion Sanders is, I think, going to bring in some big-name players. We've already seen some stuff in the portal. Um, and I think they're going to be a good football team. There's definitions of good, you know, maybe seven wins, eight wins, you know. But do I see Deion Sanders competing for a national championship in three years? I don't know, because if Deion Sanders wins seven to eight games a year at Colorado, he's going to want to take the next step. So he's not going to be in Boulder very long. So, you know, if it works out for Dion, he's out of Boulder in four years, uh, and he's at the next big job. Four state. If it doesn't, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if it doesn't work out, and he's putting up six, seven-win seasons, and they're content with that, and they're selling out some games, then he'll be in Boulder for a lot longer than maybe he expected. Exactly. And I say that realizing that Mike Norvell is just like – you know, all of a sudden just scorching hot with what he's been able to do. And, you know, second half of the season, you know, portal additions, like the, you know, getting Jordan Travis back, all these different things. So, yeah, I think Norvell is going to be around for Jaheim Bell. Goodness gracious. Got themselves the tight end. I mean, weird. They went, I mean, they, they literally went from, okay, Dion's probably going to be the new head coach in 2023 into 2022 to, Mike Novell turned this thing around and watch out for him in 23. It's it was wild. By the so, time we finish recording this, Travis Hunter is going to be committing to Florida State, and Florida State fans are going to be like, "Oh yeah, see, it was all part of the long term fan." Like they're they can like they, they just can't miss right now. They just they're yeah. they're in fuego. That's what they're doing. Um, okay, last question for you. You've been everywhere this year, like all over the place. We we're talking the SEC championship. Like you've been like game a week. I know the answer is Bama Tennessee for best game that you were at. But outside of that one, what was the best game you were at this year? I think atmosphere-wise, and and I don't want to, I don't want to pin it down to like how the game ended, um, because there, you know, I could say that for LSU and Tennessee and a number of of different games. Um, I think the probably the craziest like environment pregame and whatnot probably be Auburn Penn State. Mm. Um, because of all the Penn State fans that had traveled down to Auburn, you know, I'd, I'd done a couple of stories and I'd talk with a lot of Penn State fans and they, you know, they made the trek, they, you know, got down, flew down to Atlanta and they would make the drive over to Auburn. Like that was a really cool experience to see the Big Ten school come down to Auburn. Um, I, I mean, I, I just, I thought it was neat. Um, and I think that, you know, overall the game wasn't good but the environment was good. Um, I think probably, you know, craziest road experience would probably have to be being on the field and seeing Tennessee fans take over Baton Rouge. Um, that was pretty wild. I didn't expect, I mean, I, look, there's certain things I expect out of Tennessee fans, uh, but man, they took over Baton Rouge and that was just, that was bonkers to me. Um, and then, you know, Craziest game of the year. Yeah. It was Alabama, Tennessee, just being down there on the field and watching Alabama thinking that they were about to win the football game with their field goal. And then seeing Hendon Hooker, I was standing right there on the 30. And man, he had 15 seconds on the clock, bro. And what he did with two passes and then then kicking that field goal. Um, crazy experience of my life. Probably I got tackled twice, not you know intentionally, but I got I got tackled twice. You got up and they got tackled again. I got tackled again, uh, and then somebody bear hugged me, uh, and then I'm trying to weave through 
you know, it looked like Snoop Dogg's house on the field. Uh, and I'm trying to weave through everything just to get to the media locker area to, to do press conferences. And I'm sitting here watching people, you know, use their hands to tear up the Neyland stadium turf. Uh, they're putting it in their shirts. They're, you know, trying to sneak it out. That was the craziest damn thing I've ever seen in my life. And I've covered a lot of football games, but, um, you know, it hit me how big it was when, and I grew up in, in Mobile, Alabama. So I, I know the song really, really well. Um, when you had probably 40 or 50,000 people on the field, then Dixieland delight started playing inside Neyland stadium. And then at the same time, probably 20 seconds later, the goalpost came down. Now college football is a beautiful, beautiful game. And I will never forget uh, that experience. And uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we get a lot more. We're not promised another day in this business, you know that, Um, but hopefully we get more, uh, in the future and the, uh, in the playoffs live up to expectations. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm just hoping, man, I opened the season with Georgia and Oregon and it was ugly. And I was like, man, this is boring. Like this is a horrible football game. <laughs> we go to Atlanta where me and you are hanging out, man. And for the SEC championship, Georgia beats them up again. So let's just pray that when we get to Atlanta for Georgia, Ohio State, that it's a good game. That, that's all I'm asking for. That's all I want, man. That's all I want. I don't think it's too much. Just gives give us a little bit of uh, just a possibility that Ohio State can stay on the field with Georgia. And look, I look, I understand Georgia fans listening to saying, Connor, no, that's the last thing we want. We want a, a laugher in the semifinal. We can't endure another Rose Bowl experience. We can't have that. I'm just saying if I saw with my own two two eyes a game that compared to the 2017 Rose Bowl, I'm not complaining. I'm okay with that. That'd no, be great. No, sorry, Georgia fans. I want the <laughs> damn Rose Bowl. That's what I want. I want that Georgia-Oklahoma type of rematch type of game. So, you know, is what because I don't know what we're going to get out of the Fiesta Bowl. But, yep. um, you know, if, if we can spend New Year's Eve sitting in a stadium and uh, and watching a good football game and not a blowout – I'll take it any day of the week, brother. Hey, man. Trey, this has been great. Always appreciate the time. We'll see you in a couple weeks here. I look forward to it, brother. Thanks for having me. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. All right. Figuring it out. Holiday parties. I'm assuming that people have gone to their holiday parties. If you haven't, maybe you've got one like Thursday night going into Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, Eve holiday party. Maybe somebody does that every single year, but by now you've probably gone to your holiday parties. Will, have you gone to any holiday parties this year? Um, We don't really have one for real. Um, It was a big thing, like kind of my company before they got acquired, but I feel like we should like, like my, my part of the company should start one. I had, I have a very funny story. One of my friends had a holiday party that he couldn't attend and he actually won like an advanced, like deluxe Roomba, but they were like, well, if you're not here, you can't claim it. And so he just had to watch his coworkers text him and be like, uh, no, this is mine now. Actually, you can't have it. (laughs) That is incredible incentive to go to a holiday party. You can't show up. It's like my kid was in the school play. What are you? talking about 
Like he was like break. it was like something like that for him. Like he was like at a function for his daughter. He's like, I I needed a Roomba. Why would you do this to me? Oh my god, that's torture. All right, so that's one of the things I want to talk about with 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 holiday parties and and gifts and whatnot because I think there are different degrees of holiday parties. A holiday party is not, hey, we're celebrating Christmas with our family. Christmas. The day of, that's kind of different. That's its own category. You have your traditions. Maybe it's you're going to both sides of, you know, you like you go to your mom's side of the family for part of the day and then your dad's side of the family, their extended family for the other part of the day. We used to do that when I was a kid. There are different ways to celebrate with your in-laws or something like we celebrated Christmas on Sunday with my in-laws because we're going to be driving up to Chicago to spend the the rest of the the, the latter, like the later part of the week with my mom. Um, and her side of the family as well. So everybody has kind of different Christmas traditions, but holiday parties, in my opinion, different. Have to be leading up to Christmas, has to be some sort of a social function with the theme of Christmas. A party that is around the time of Christmas that doesn't have any Christmas feel, not Christmas, not a holiday party. And again, doesn't have to be eggnog present, but that is a deal breaker. If there is eggnog there, it's automatically a holiday party. Thanks. Yeah, that's guaranteed. If you host a holiday party, I think all you can ask for realistically is that people bring something. Bring something. Bring a dish. Bring a bottle of wine. Bring a, a bottle of champagne. Whatever the case may be. At the very least, bring whatever it is that you and your significant other or just you, yourself, and you are drinking. Okay. That's bare minimum. Mm-hmm. If you are expecting people to bring gifts, you need to explicitly outline, we are doing a white elephant. Mm-hmm. We have this planned. Here is your price limit. Bring your white elephant gift. That is part of your party. If you do not outline that and you are hoping that your guests will show up with gifts, you're going to be disappointed. You just will be. That's that's what I have learned from from going to holiday parties over the years. We have a couple of friends in Orlando who have who have put on holiday parties. They're a great time. Absolutely love it. But it's got to be outlined. And I'm not a I'm not a big white elephant guy. Can I just say that? Is that is that bad? Yeah, it's one of those things that like felt like a cool concept when I first heard about it like 10 years ago. And I've done it so many times. I'm just like, oh sick. All right. I was like, wait a minute. Even when we first did them at my my family Christmas parties, they did like white elephant gifts. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm going to end up with a gift that I don't want. And I'm just going to come back f- from this party with with junk unless I'm able to steal the gift that I really want. And even that, it's kind of like, uh, then it makes somebody that's else the, feel bad. That's one thing the office nailed was like the thing with the teapot where it was like, no, 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 no she needs this present. It's a spontaneous white elephant. <laughs> it's a great thing. It's a great time to show someone uh, how much you care about them based on how much you spend. What's I can't remember the quote. What, whatever Michael says when he gets Ryan the iPod, but yeah, yeah that's that's essentially what what it turns into. And it's it's like I I don't really think that's the setting in my opinion for like opening gifts and whatnot. I I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird in that regard. I've clearly overthought the crap out of this, but. I love holiday parties. It's great. Light music going on. A little bit of like the, you know, not not overly crowded houses or something like that. Right holiday party. Great time. Look forward to them. Whenever they come around, that invitation comes in the mail. Yes, we'll do what we can to be able to make that. Um, any other, do you have any hot takes about holiday parties? Are you an ugly sweater guy, Will? Um, 
I used to have lots of ugly sweaters. COVID kind of changed everything. I was the, I was a big time shoe guy. I was a big time ugly sweater guy. And the other day, I just saw Brittany walking around wearing my uh, Kocho Christmas sweater with the corn dogs and the shrimp on it. That's I was good. just like, I'm glad someone got some use out of that because to me, that was. <laughs> when did ugly sweaters become a real thing? I was wondering about that. Yeah, probably like, like in our childhood. So, well, I think people always had ugly sweaters, but then it was just like, oh, now let's make a meme out of this. And I'm sick of seeing these ugly sweaters. Like, like it was a bad thing, and people got sick of seeing ugly sweaters. So they were just like, aha, now we're gonna make a meme out of it. Now we're all gonna do it together versus just that person with the ugly sweater. I tried to trace it back for my social life mm-hmm. when I first realized that ugly sweater, like an ugly sweater party, was a real thing, and maybe I just ignored it. I do not recall my parents going to an ugly sweater party ever. I recall them wearing ugly sweaters, not mm-hmm. acknowledging them as ugly, but I don't right, recall exactly. actually saying we are actively seeking an ugly sweater. We need to go to Walmart. We need to go to Target to get us an ugly sweater. All right, I don't remember that. I think, I think it was a 21st century thing. I'm just gonna yeah. say it. 21st century invention, ugly sweater party, Goodwill, a lot of great ugly sweaters. If you can't go to Goodwill and find yourself an ugly sweater, you're not looking hard enough. Or your Goodwill maybe just sucks. I don't know. One of the two. Mm-hmm. Walmart has a lot of good ones as well. But yeah, yeah. that became a thing. I want to say like 2006-ish. Yep. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. When the concept of memes really became made tree, where we all started looking around and going like, oh, we can all be our jokes together. Yeah, there we go. When people started putting their pictures on the internet, that's when it became. That's a good point because now it's like, oh, we're all ugly as a joke, not just that person with the ugly sweater. Exactly. Exactly. Let's go to Saturday Down South Podcast Facebook group. Uh, I asked the question Do you host holiday parties? If so, do you do it annually? What is your policy on bringing gifts? I have clearly shared you mine. Uh, Eggnog, Yarna. Do you need to wear an ugly sweater to a holiday party? And of course, any holiday party horror stories. We have a lot of good responses. Let's start with this one from Jonathan Mason. Jonathan says, we go to a family-friendly holiday party every year that our friend who also puts on the epic Halloween party throws. She has Santa, plays White Elephant, and this year had a balloon artist for the kids. That's next level. Dang, man. Mm-hmm. We tip- typically skip the White Elephant part uh, so we can sneak out with the kids, but it's always a great time. Yes, on eggnog because it's, it's a tradition and you only only get it one time of the year half gallon maybe two should last through the season as far as ugly sweaters go i'm a holiday t-shirt guy i like that chattanooga typically milder temps in december i'm a bigger guy and you never know what someone else's house is going to be like inside once you get a bunch of those people there merry christmas from the mason family merry christmas to you jonathan great points in there i agree with so much of that 100 <laughs> percent. the skipping of the white elephant and dipping out of there. Oh yeah, we got kids. We got to get them home past their bedtime. Mm-hmm. That that's gonna be me, hundred <laughs> percent. Like I fully anticipate that. Nobody ever does that part in the beginning of the party. That's later mm-hmm. on, way later. Always. I am. I don't want to say I'm an eggnog loyalist. I think there's bad eggnog in this world. I do. I really do. Mm-hmm. I think it's a risky drink. When you get it at a party and you know that there can be a a sip there that's just like, this ain't it. Yeah. And then you're stuck with it. And that's the worst. And eggnog depreciates horribly. Yep. So bad. When you have that first sip and you're like, oh boy, we're going to, 
we're going to have to drop this one off somewhere where we can't be taking more sips of this because each sip with eggnog, you, you don't have, you don't have ice in there, right? It's eggnog is usually served without ice. Am I, am I wrong in that? You're right. I mean, I've had cold eggnog. I think if you start to get to that point where you're like nursing the eggnog, you got to throw some ice in there though. Cause that lukewarm eggnog is not it. Oh, bad. And, and the holiday party that I was, that I was just at great eggnog phenomenal mm-hmm. was worried about it a little bit i was like ah you know i'm kind of hit or miss on it it's a little bit intimidating they're pouring the glass for you they're watching you as you take your first sip it actually was good and it was a situation where if it were bad i would have had to put on a brave face eggnog hit or miss i can take it every once in a while we don't need to have it more than december we just don't it's, mm-hmm. there's a reason why we keep it trapped in that one month out of the year um and then ugly sweaters, those, uh, pumpkin spice lattes, those could stay year round. Just my opinion. Yeah, you know what? I I, I like pumpkin spice lattes. Sometimes you get them that are they're a little bit too sweet. Sometimes you like the sweet drinks, though. Oh, buddy, do I like sweet drinks? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, I'll still never forget the time when we were driving back from Bradenton, doing the IMG stuff, and we stopped at Starbucks. And Will said before he ordered, "Do not judge me for this." And got the <laughs> and here you are judging me, Connor. Wow. <laughs> and here we are, five five and a half years later, and I still remember that. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. We'll like some some sugary drinks. Ugly sweaters. He's right. You get into the wrong house. You're you're sweating that thing. You're like, mm-hmm. when do I get to take this thing off? It becomes a sweater. Yeah. <laughs> Why do people in this time of year crank up their heat? to where it's 82 or 83 degrees in your home or in your car, I am wearing clothes to accommodate for this weather. Mm-hmm. Why are you then making it hotter? I, I don't get it. I, I need somebody to explain this to me. I just do not understand. You you have people wearing sweaters. Mm-hmm. What, what? Why would you ever be outside in 85 degree weather with a sweater on? I People don't think that through. It bothers me. He makes a great point, like as a big dude, too. You got to have different phases of your outfit. Like you pull up with the sweater on, and that looks good. But you got to make sure that shirt on under that sweater yes. looks good, too, because you will be trapped and sweating like a pig. If you're a bigger dude in somebody else's house with just the undershirt on, you're like, I can't, I can't have a beater on in here. Like, come on. He's, he's, he's right. You get the, the, the festive holiday shirt. That can be in lieu of an ugly sweater. People will look at that in the exact same way that they do an ugly sweater. Or alternatively, like you said, just have the undershirt on point. Have the right undershirt under your sweater. That's also mm-hmm. holiday appro- holiday party appropriate. And it's not just like a white tee with the pit stains going. You know what I mean? We've all got those. We've yeah. got a few of those. Uh, but yeah, a lot of great points from Jonathan. Let's go to this one from Tyler Lynn. Tyler says, holiday horror story. Uh, my dad was fresh off an injury and still on painkillers. Uh, when his mom picked a fight over some not wanting our dog, uh, some people not wanting our dog in the house and picked him up uh, to carry him inside, dad goes, put the effing dog down. It was downhill from there, but hilarious. Best Christmas on a back deck ever. <laughs> I thought we were about to have a Ron Burgundy moment in real time. I was like, oh no, because sometimes you're like a word ahead. <laughs> Will thought I was about to drop an F bomb. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, the the family beefs on uh on holiday occasions always awkward, always tense too. People get really, really bent out of shape mm-hmm. for very small things. 
during this time of year. It's a very tense time of year. I don't know why. A lot of preparation goes into this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's the end of the year. Maybe you're really tired from work. It's got you stressed out in some kind of way. And sometimes just like that one wrong thing, like not wanting the dog to be in the house, I, I guess, sets people, some people over the edge. I don't know. Well, Christmas has three elements of things, right? It has the the stress of planning things and having people in your house and being in your space. It has the reflective nature of the year ending where you can look back at that person and be like, I remember when that dude wronged me back in May and I'm still not over it. And then you have the reset of the new year, which you could then ask for forgiveness. So you roll all that into one and you're just like, you know what? I'm going to just let this fly and know that in two weeks, I will be on, back on speaking terms. I'm going to stop being a jerk next year. Right. <laughs> January 1st is approaching. I just, whatever. I'm just going to be the worst possible person during the holiday season. We'll figure that out in the new year. That's a good way to be. It's like, hey, if you start at the bottom, that's me. I just stopped working out for a couple of weeks. I'm like, I'm going to weigh myself December 31st. And I'll just, I'll lose 10 pounds in two weeks. Bro. Exactly. Exactly. That's, by the way, that's coming to a future figure it out is uh, New Year's resolutions. We'll be doing that real soon mm -hmm. here. Uh, let's go to this one from Emery. Emery says, we did a New Year's Six Eve uh, get together last year. Still a holiday party. Thing. Do we want we'll, we'll count that as a holiday yeah. party? That might be its own category, its own subcategory of holiday parties, but it still counts because it's in the month of December. Wouldn't call that a Christmas party per se, but under the, the holiday party umbrella, I think. Um uh he says, I smoked a beef wellington and made everything. Of course he did, including the pastry from scratch. I also cut the tip of my finger off on some potatoes. Um Man mandolins are sharp. Yes, they are. Mm -hmm. uh, our policy on gifts are bring what you drink and we won't be mad if you leave it. Yes, 100%. Mm -hmm. Horror story. I was almost involved in a shooting at a Christmas gathering once. Um, Won't go into too much detail, but guns were drawn and then everyone sat down for dinner. We're going mm -hmm. to gris different Christmas parties, Emery. I love him. So much. Everything about Emery and the way he lives is he's like real Ron Swanson. I'm so happy this podcast has introduced me to so many cool people. Uh, of course, that happened to him. They just went right back to supper, as they call it. And I do want to say really quick, Beef Wellington is so underrated. If you to your point about eggnog, that's you your takeaway me... is the Beef Wellington. No, no, listen. If you could, I'm fat. Listen, we just talked about the if, point being. If we if we could like if you could tell me something is going to be made ten out of ten well. A beef Wellington might be my pick because if you get a great beef Wellington, I bet that beef Wellington made was fire. That's true, and I bet potatoes were great as well. Yes, with that little bit of extra blood in there, you know, get that little bit of au jus going. Blood au jus is not the best au jus. That's what I always say. Mm -hmm. uh, I I need to know more about this this shooting. Um, it, guns yeah. drawn, and then being able to. I, well, this just goes into what we we're just talking about. People are tense around this time yeah. of year. Tensions are high. People are packing. They're ready to go. Apparently, before dinner even. Not even after dinner drinks caused that. Yikes, man. Goodness Yeah, gracious. I think my my lack of shock there is just knowing Emory. Like, if Jay said that, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I want to do this story. That just feels like a Tuesday for Emory, I feel. Like most if, of his stories involve something like that. If this was our guy with the intramural story. <laughs> that was insane. We're like, okay, we're, we're what's the common denominator here that we're looking at? All right. Yeah, that's not the case. All right, let's have this one from Grant Haney. Grant says, I don't normally host the party. I am much better suited to play the guest role. Who isn't? 
That way I can keep the possibility of an Irish goodbye in play. Vintage mm-hmm. Jim from the office as Robert at Robert California's pool party, 100%. Mm-hmm. As far as bringing a gift, proper protocol is to ask if they want you to bring anything. And if the answer is no, you should firmly respect the host's wishes. Last thing you want to do is to go rogue and bring a dish that uh, either no one touches or gets the stank eye look from the host who told you uh, no to begin with. And as far as ugly sweaters go, they are kind of like the wishbone or wildcat offense. They had, (laughs) this is great. They had their moment. And in that moment, they were done right. And were truly something to appreciate. However, nowadays it just seems to have been overdone and fall short of capturing the magic of the original. Chef's kiss. That's beautiful. That's poetry. That's poetry. Yep. Grant, I I can't add it. I can't add anything to that. So well said. Beautiful. Do I just go to Lad of the Week? I feel like that's a walk off. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a walk off. Will you uh you hyped up your Lad of the Week to me before, which you don't often do, but you said you had one that was quote electric. Fire away. Okay, let's do it. So I was wandering around Twitter doing my thing, and I realized that in Staten Island, their high school all star game was called the Fugazi Bowl. And that's like Fugazi or Fugazi. Do we I, I don't know. I'm not the person to speak on this. I just Cardi know B says Fugazi, I think. Okay, well, there you go. So Fugazi Bowl, that's all I'll do it. You guys can correct me. But what my Italian friends have called it Fugazi, I think it's different from different places, but whatever. Could be. So yeah. I was like, that's funny. I was like, let me do some research on that. I thought it was like made up. And I saw these people with these Fugazi jerseys, like Fugazi All-Star. And I was like, that's crazy. So then I went to go look it up, right? And the real story is even more ridiculous. I'm about to tell you about a guy named Fred Fugazi because the <laughs> the bowl game was just played, all right? This guy is a true legend in Staten Island, okay? So a uh, three-year starter at both fullback and linebacker in New York City, fourth leading scorer, all this different stuff. Had set all these records in like the 50s and 60s, whatever. That's fine. A lot of people do that. Here's the thing about him. He, <laughs> he got drafted to the Boston Patriots. You know what I'm saying? Back when that was a team. And uh, didn't get cut, didn't retire, didn't get traded, walked off the field, just joined the Marines. Was just like, you know what? This NFL stuff, not really doing it for me. Need a real element of danger. Not paying the bills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gonna just go ahead and serve my country, whatever, join the Marines. Got medically discharged from the Marines. So he comes home, probably sitting around the house, get a little bit antsy, decides to join the New York Fire Department. So he, as one does so fred fugazi is he's joined now he's joined the all to his third phase of his life he's a new york firefighter gets lots of commemorations for that becomes a football coach does all this type of stuff you know he's a community leader all this different stuff the, st- the story about why he is like now has this um this award though is uh how he passed away and he passed away trying to break up a fight where he came to the aid of an underdog stranger okay it just you know, basically lost the fight, apparently sustained injuries after that. So let me just draw you a comparison. All-state football player, drafted by the Patriots, walked off, joined the Marines, got medically discharged, became an NYC firefighter, and then basically passed away tragically, hopping into a fight like Rocky Balboa and just being like, hey, this guy needs a hand. I'm going to stick up for him. You say <laughs> underdog. I Are we talking David versus Goliath? How, how significant of an underdog... If this guy was going to get killed no matter what, and he just said, this is my sacrifice, this is my input, this is how I'm going out, I, that's 
that's debatable. That's that he, makes you question his character. The only thing in his bio from this official site just says he was murdered in 1977. So that's a full 20 years after his, his football career. So he's an older gentleman. Okay. Um, he was murdered in 1977 while trying to break up a fight where he came to the aid of an underdog stranger. And then that's that's the they had the so that was it. They just decided to establish a memorial because they were like, huh, more people should hear about this guy. And here I am making him loud of the week because they're right. This More week. people should hear about this guy. So this week they established the memorial for No, him? no, 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 no. The All-Star game was two days ago. Oh. And so it's called the Fugazi Bowl. And I saw it and I was like, why is it called the Fugazi Bowl? And so this is his week. His fun foundation has had their fundraiser. They've had their game. He's lad of the week because, well, does he deserve it? You know? Just long overdue. Yeah. Long, long overdue. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah, that was electric. What a life. Lad of, lad of the 20th century, I'm going to say. Staten Island legend, Fred Fugazi. <laughs> if you had asked me, hey, Connor, where do you think that guy's from? I would have said Staten Island. Yeah. It's, it's like too good to be true. It's like this guy is the most Staten Island man of all time. 100%. Um, I originally was going to go with Chandler Jones. Makes a lot of sense. Seeing what he did to Mac Jones, trucking him. If he had been tripped up by Mac Jones, we would have been deprived of one of the great plays. One of the great endings, I should say, in tackle football history. And he didn't get tackled. So I very worthy of that. I felt like I was talking about Chandler Jones, like he was 40 years old and what an unbelievable feat. And then I realized he's two months older than I am. And I got really sad about myself. <laughs> we've, we've heard about him for like ever. It's like, yeah, I know it's been around for so long. And I'm like, Oh crap. He's my age. That sounds really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Bryce young, Will Anderson playing in the sugar bowl. I think we've had a, pretty significant um, change in mindset when it comes to players and opting out. I think it's one of those things that we're frustrated that bowl games aren't what they are. We understand why kids are doing it. There Mm -hmm. are certain people who are of the belief that you should never opt out because you made an agreement to your university. And then also ignoring the fact that these, these coaches and not just head coaches, but assistant coaches are leaving before these bowl games are played and people that Mm -hmm that hate on kids don't necessarily want to live, want to necessarily like consider that part of the argument as well. But let's just appreciate the fact that Bryce Young and Will Anderson are playing football one more time. One of the great things that can come of this era of opt-outs and transfer portal stuff is when you get the occasional superstar guy like a Bryce Young, like a Will Anderson, who comes in and says, I'm going to play with my guys one more time. Mm-hmm. I understand there's injury risk. I understand I can lose a lot of money. I want to play with my guys one more time. I want to play in this competitive bowl game. Playing football is supposed to be fun. Getting a reminder from two guys who are about to become very, very rich dudes and are already really rich dudes because of the NIL money that they've made, but they're about to become not just millionaires, but eight-figure millionaires. I think that's just fun to be able to see. We don't have to overthink it and say, why can't everybody be like Bryce Young and Will Anderson? Would it be great if everybody was like that? Yes. Is it realistic? No. Let's just appreciate it for what it is. It's awesome. It's going to be fun. The Sugar Bowl, all of a sudden, just like that, became one of those games that you're going to want to feel like you have to watch. And that's good. And that's great for the sport. And I'm happy for that. No, yeah, hundred percent. Like that's one of those things that's like that topic is at this point never going to go away. And I think that we are kind of at a point where the total team playoff is needed. That's one thing that's like not really talked about enough about it. It's like, well, a lot of these bowl games just kind of like 
weren't like you're actually kind of gaining some bowl games if you really think about it because a playoff would have kept a lot of guys active We're talking about you know uh even like Aiden O'Connell the Purdue quarterback if he were somehow in the playoff and that would be different but yeah it's always great to see like for every guy you know like Corral there's always a guy like Tebow that I just remember him just destroying Cincinnati oh he was <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> yeah just being like this is exactly how I remember you forever and then he you know he obviously wanted to be a great commentator and all that stuff but that was a nice little send-off so it's cool when guys college careers come out of that little book in that you know maybe isn't a championship game but like this is going to sound whatever, but it's like it almost takes a little bit more bravery at this point to play in a non-championship game. So when you see a guy like that really like devote it and lay it all out there for the university. And Alabama's a lot of those guys really talking about Jonathan Allen coming back, talking about, you know, the quarterback staying and, and, and kind of like spelling each other. So it's cool. It's, it's uh, You know, you just you hate to hand it to Alabama, but they really do have a good culture over there. They do. No opt outs. I mean, I'm old yeah. enough to remember when Nick Saban was losing the program and he's out here with no bull opt outs. and He's got the number one class and early signing period so just like that you know the goat. It. it's disgusting <laughs> <laughs> one day the dynasty will be dead but not today <laughs> the goat fires back as he does yes um speaking of early signing period that'll be the plan for later in the week i say plan because i am supposed to be driving up to chicago if you haven't followed the weather of what it looks like later in the week in the midwest it looks really really bad so it's possible that our pod schedule could be interrupted the plan right now is to be able to record a podcast on Thursday, talk about a whole lot of early signing period takeaways. Ari Wasserman of The Athletic is, is scheduled to join us. But again, that plan is very tentative because weather around the holidays and travel and all those different things, it can be impacted. So we'll try and keep you posted on everything moving forward with that. If you have not, leave us a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast, join the Facebook group here named Red on Air with Figuring It Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.